the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, February 17th, and I'm Kieran Hancock. And before we start, let me just remind you that you can subscribe to our podcast uh, via iTunes on the internet. Later, we'll be exploring the reasons behind the collapse in milk prices. Why has 800 million euro been wiped off the value of the Irish sector over the past year or so? But we'll begin with mortgage prices on Monday. Bank of Ireland reduced its fixed rates by up to 0.35% in the latest salvo to win market share. On the same day, Fianna Fáil announced proposals to end what it considers to be a rip-off standard variable rates. To take us through this minefield, I'm joined in studio by Emer Lang, a banking analyst with Davy, and John Lowe, otherwise known as the Money Doctor. John Lowe, just talk us through what exactly Bank of Ireland has done this week. Well, they've um, reduced by, what, 0.35% on the standard variable rate. This is where um, Michael Noonan last year, I think, I think he went around mm. uh, walkabout through all the banks trying to get them to reduce uh, standard variable rates in line with our European counterparts. I mean, there's a huge anomaly between what uh, the normal European uh, variable standard variable rate mortgage holder is getting and what we're paying here. So the what's average is 2.05. 2.05, So it's 3.96 here is the average. So that's the variable like, rate. It, that's the variable rate. So it's okay. it's, it's it's very. Uh, but Bank no, of Ireland's cut its fixed rates. It's not interesting. It's, yes, fixed rates. No, but so but because Bank of Ireland's variable is about four and a half percent, isn't it? Yeah, but you know the very best um, three-year fixed rate at the moment is Ulster Bank three point two percent. So that's a three-year fixed rate. It's, it's the best in the market. In fact, the very best, fifty percent or less with um, a 0.2% reduction for the entire term if you open up a current extra, it's called extra current account with uh, KPC, uh, is 3.25%. That's the very, very best variable rate when you're borrowing 50% or less. So, like, there's, I mean, shopping around is is very much uh, on the cards. And there's so many of the banks now who are offering so many um, uh, kind of stuff to, to try and lure you in yeah, like two percent cashback is let's not tease bad. that out because bank of yeah. is offering that as well two percent right, cashback yeah. permanent tsb permanent is to two percent are offering yeah. that yeah. as well well there's a whole rate for instance you've yeah. got um you know aib also offer 30 percent off the first year home insurance premium uh, free current account banking if if making mortgage repayments by direct debit from aib account you've got 36 percent now ebs uh, AIB and Haven, they're all this one and the same, as you know. 36% off the first-year home insurance for EBS. Um, the, the permanent TSB, apart from the 2% cash offer, they're also offering... 0.5%, half a percent discount on the managed variable rate, up to 80% mm. loan value in the first year. Now, mind you, I have experience of AIB and their insurance uh, products. They're not necessarily the best rate in the market to begin with. No, absolutely. So even taking 30% yeah, off might not necessarily be <laughs> delivering the best value to you. Also, Bank are offering 1,500 euros off legal fees, which is also for those who are switching. And that's one of my, my mantras at the moment is if you're in a high standard variable rate, shop around see what's available yeah. see if you're especially if your loan is less than say 80% because most of the permanent TSB KBC they offer um, tiered rate system so the, the the lower you go to value the cheaper the rate yeah Imer Lang why are the Irish banks uh, reducing the rates like this at the minute I mean uh, AIB we had a situation where AIB reduced its SVR three times I think in the space of about 12 or 15 months why, why are they doing it? well obviously they were told to introduce products that were cheaper than the historic SVR and they've taken a different tax so AIB has focused on the SVR and it's you know pretty good value after the three points cut compared to where it was 
Bank of Ireland have always maintained that they would use fixed rates to compete. And that's why you're seeing these cuts. They've cut them a couple of times. This would be the latest in a series of cuts. And the, the new rates with their 2% cashback, sure. the 2% cashback is proving very popular, which is why PTSB introduced it recently. And I think that's been extended until the summer in the case of Bank of Ireland. It has, yeah. Um, and why is Bank of Ireland focusing on fixed rather than uh, variable? They want to differentiate from the others. And also, of course, they've got a big SVR back book. So, you know, not everybody will opt for a fixed rate, but it is open to all existing customers. So anybody on one of the more one of those more expensive SVRs can opt to switch to fixed. Some people don't like fixed. They don't like locking themselves in. But certainly, you know, they will save a lot if they're staying with Bank of Ireland by switching from an SVR to a fixed rate. And I guess there's more certainty as well in terms of funding costs. Uh, if if they borrow or if the bank themselves borrows over three, five, ten years, they have a certainty over funding costs as opposed to the variable situation. Yeah, the Bank of Ireland are able to match fund it, so they will have a figure in mind that they will expect to lend at a particular rate, and they will go out and they'll fund to to meet that demand. Yeah, I think I think it's more uh, a question of a, like a lost leader, um, where they're trying to attract a low fixed rate in the hope that you know they'll attract first of all the existing um, customers as well as new customers uh, because then it'll default onto the the more expensive standard variable rate which i think is really what they want um but it's only when you go on to a standard variable rate that you have the choice that you can move you can swap around you, and there's no penalty for movement it's a penalty though if you move out of a fixed rate yeah sure yeah. sorry you know, if you take a three-year fixed, at the end of that three-year fixed, you can fix again. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to revert to the SVOR, so you do have a little bit more flexibility. So you have to keep fixing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are some people, John, in the market who are getting fantastic value because we have a huge uh, cohort of people who are on tracker mortgages. They were introduced oh. before the boom. Yeah. They track the ECB rate. The ECB rate is practically zero, yeah. and they're paying maybe, what, one, one and a half percent above that? five actually is the lowest. Because it's the lowest. Who's yeah, offering that? Well, it, it was. <laughs> 2008 was the last time the, uh, the trackers were... were were, were given um, National Irish Bank and Dans- Danska uh, they gave half a percent margin and of course the current ECB rate is 0.05 so 0.55 in total you know, so that's mana. It really is mana. And uh, I mean, I know people who've got a 40 year term, which was the longest you could get. They also got it on a tracker rate, the, the lowest, 0.55. Interest only, probably. Interest well, only for the 40 years. Yeah. I mean, you can't get better. Emer, do you have any statistics on how big the tracker book is across the Irish market or how many people are availing of tracker mortgages at the minute? Well, obviously, those tracker books are repaying and, you know, they're, I think in Bank of Ireland's case, the repayments are probably about 500 million a half. So they are coming down. But, yeah, the, the three large banks would have broadly similar size books. And at this stage, they're probably still around 12 or 13 billion. 12 or 13 billion I'm in total. I'm just wondering, you know, have they hedged those um, tracker rates in, in the early years? Because, I mean, I had a client who had a 400,000 tracker mortgage. They had 400,000 cash, as it happened, and they just wanted to pay it off. But they wanted to have some incentive because if you really worked it out, I mean, it was costing them, if it was just straightforward um, costing, about 3%, 3.5% every year. So it was an enormous amount of money that this bank was going to save by having their mortgage paid off. And they wouldn't give a penny. Really? Not a single penny. Yeah. Um, these rate cuts obviously affect profit margins, uh, Emer, and we Bank of Ireland results out next week. Um, first of all, what, what are you predicting? These are for uh, figures for 2015. What are you predicting uh, in terms of 2015 as the outcome for Bank of Ireland? 
We're forecasting pre-tax profits of around 1.2 billion. But there are some once-offs in there that were reported in the first half, like when they sold some bonds, they made some gains, so they won't recur. So I think given the current market volatility, we'll be looking for signs that underlying momentum has continued through 2015. But clearly, there'll be an unusually big focus on the margin this time around, because although the margin in 2015 is expected to have widened, this is really, the, net interest the net interest margin, it's really what happens margins from here because the current low rates and indeed if the ECB cut deposit rates further and we're further into negative territory, that does have implications for bank margins. So we think the 2015 margin will be will be fine, but it's really the outlook mm. for margins from here that will be a bigger focus. And that profit for 2015, uh, how does that compare with the previous year? That would be a pretty big increase year on year. Um, it was only seven hundred and ninety-nine million the previous year. <laughs> right. Okay. So you know you've seen <laughs> yeah, huge indeed. inflation, and I mean the interesting thing is on the margin that lending yields during twenty fifteen we tracked the monthly central bank retail statistics, retail interest rate statistics. Lending yields were remarkably stable from the beginning to the end of the year at just below three and a half percent, but the cost of deposits have fallen, so that has helped the margin widen. Where the margin has come under pressure is the margin on their liquid assets, where they have to invest these liquid assets in in areas where the, the return is falling yeah. on a constant basis, and that will continue. I don't know how deep a dive you do into Bank of Ireland's figures, but um, do you have any sense of whether their mortgage book, let's say, in, in the UK, I think it's 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 of a similar size to Ireland, isn't it? Maybe a bit smaller. But um, how how profitable it is compared with, let's say, the Republic, because um, the interest rates that they're charging in the UK are, are less than they're charging in the Republic. Do we have any sense of, of where that lies? No, we've tried, but we can't extricate a UK margin or a UK product margin from the published figures. We've just It's just too difficult to do. Right, that's something do. they keep to themselves effectively for it's, competitive it's reasons, just, I presume. It's, yeah, it's complex. And I mean, in the UK, they're price takers. They don't make a price because they have very small market share. So they're really following the market both in terms of what they pay for deposits and what they charge for mortgages, and they're trying to compete. And, you know, it looks like in, in 2015, their overall UK advances will be probably of a similar scale to the entire Irish market for home purchase. So if we look at the Irish market last year, there was $4.85 billion of new loans, and of that... Home loans. Home loans, 4.4 billion was purely for house purchase, so that's first-time buyers, mover purchasers, um, investors... Bank of Ireland will probably do the equivalent of that in the UK in 2015. Uh, and one of the reasons we think we're seeing the increase in competition in the mortgage market is that the remortgage piece is beginning to pick up. It picked up in Q4. So there's a defensive aspect to that strategy as well. If the remortgage market is picking up, you don't want to lose your existing customers. Sure, sure. So you need I think to. 2% is helping as well. It is, of course. <laughs> the 2% has proved to be very attractive, mm, apparently. Yeah. Uh, John, just in terms of uh, um, the election that's going on at the, at the minute that's providing a backdrop to all of this, uh, coincidentally on Monday, uh, Michael McGrath, the finance spokesman of Fianna Fáil, released a paper on mortgages. Yeah. And yeah. a number of actions that Fianna Fáil would take if, if it were in government. He described right. the standard variable rates that are being charged at the minute yeah. as a complete rip-off mm. and has said that they would uh, give powers, they would mm. empower the central bank to um, to, well, to, to basically reduce rates. Didn't they? That, and they, they negated that by saying they have no control over those rates. Yeah, uh, that's right. Giving them powers, I don't know. But he has also said he would empower credit unions to mm. offer uh, mortgages to provide... 
yeah. stimulate competition. I read your piece this morning and uh, I agree completely with it. Uh, I think the way, uh, you know, they're like what the old building societies used to be. You know, it was nice, friendly, community-based. Community based. And like they made an absolute hash of the uh, their restructure, their, their infrastructure rather, their kind of um, IT uh, cost them millions. And, uh, and because of some of the, the, the downturn, I suppose, in the last seven, eight years, uh, they've had the finan- the friendly registrar behind, you know, after them, and they're now amalgamating. I think Rebo, what, 335 now instead of 389 offices. But I think it'll be a long time before they get into the mortgage market. They'll be allowed to get into the mortgage market. I think that's just, as you say, an election promise. Actually, do you know what an anagram of election results is? Lies. It's a result. <laughs> right, okay. Interesting. Um, Emer, I, I seem to recall Brian Hayes, the Irish MEP, the Fine Gael MPP, is currently their director of elections. Uh, he was banging the drum on, on SVRs a couple of years ago, and he suggested that surely in this kind of integrated uh, Eurozone, uh, one big fa- financial market, that we should be able to get mortgages uh, across EU borders. Uh, do, you, do you see that ever happening? I think that'll take a long time to come to fruition. I mean, every now and again, there's papers and there's, um, you know, there's suggestions that it will happen and maybe it will happen, but I can't see it happening anytime soon. It's just too complex at this stage. Yeah. John, just come back to the money back offer that Bank of Ireland and Permanent TSB mm-hmm. are offering 2%. It's, yeah. uh, it's a headline rate. It's very attractive. Yes. Uh, I can see why people would want to, would, would you know, would be taken in by it, if you, yeah. if you like. But over the course of a mortgage over 25, 30 years, does it represent good value uh, compared to, let's say, AIB and it, it pure depends, SVR rate? It, it depends what happens to the, the Bank of Ireland's standard variable rate. I mean, at the moment, they're the, the most expensive. And, uh, and also, by the way, another thing to remember is that it's not, easy peasy to go into uh, the bank, any lender in fact, and get 2% or nothing and just go and get a loan approved. The parameters of um, uh, you know approval are huge. I mean, I, I really don't agree at the moment with this um, 2% stress test. You know that when you have a, a, a mortgage applicants in front of you and it's a 4.5% standard variable rate, well the, the, the lender then puts another 2% to see how that couple will be, will be stretched and they find if they don't uh, aren't able to afford that extra 2%, they don't get the loan. So the 2% is very um, unfair, in my view, because I think for the next uh, three to five, maybe 10 years, we are in a low-rate interest environment. Mm. Actually, I got a, a, a little present from a friend the other day, and I was thinking of sending this. This is a pen, an ordinary pen with a, a horn-shaped thing at the end. And I was thinking of sending it this like to every... Head, well, small well, I was going to send it to every credit department of every lender, because it has, it has just one word. No! 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 <laughs> so it was. He uh, saved their vocal cords, you know, because it's easier, you know, if you don't fit the parameters, it's just a no. Just a no. Okay, Emer, um, I was going to ask you. I don't know if you have any box of tricks with you, but I was going to ask you to look into your crystal ball um, to uh, predict for us when interest rates might start rising again. We've seen a rise, obviously, in the US recently, uh, but no sign that the ECB is going to increase rates. None whatsoever, and certainly, sort of forecasting horizon that we would have, which would be a couple of years. There's no sign of them. Right. And what about these central bank rules, these macroprudential rules, which uh, mean that people have to have a 20% deposit in place before they can be approved for a home loan? Uh, the governor has talked about reviewing those rules yeah. later this year. Have you any sense that they, they might be watered down? Our impression would be that it would be unlikely that they would move from them, that they would want very good evidence that they were causing a problem before they would change them. 
Uh, and obviously there is a 15% above the, the limits that you can lend. And indeed, you know, they came in in February and the market was 4.85 billion in total last year, which was better than we had feared. Of course, you know, it, it remains to be seen whether the 5 billion we've penciled in for this year will be will be realistic or not. Well, it's 90%, isn't it, for the two, up to 220? Uh, yeah. And then it's 20, then 20%, 20% over that. So on the 300,000 mortgage, you're looking at, what, 38,000 to stump up. I can't see how any couple can come up with. I remember I was a building society manager, and uh, you had to sp- you had to um, uh, save ten percent over a period of a year on a regular basis, not not a one off lump sum. Ten percent, uh, like even then, like now, like thirty thousand, and, and and save that over a period of a year. There's nobody, no young couple can do that. It's certainly a big number, and mm. it's it's certainly it's more of a Dublin issue because I think regional Ireland there's yeah, not the same not problems as, yeah, that. Uh, yeah. There's not the same constraints. So, yeah, I mean, he has obviously promised to review it, but his language is such that certainly Conan, our economist, would feel that, you know, it would take something pretty stark for him to change his mind. Okay, and just looking for anybody who's considering taking a mortgage at the minute or might be considering a house purchase in in the coming months, do you think that rates are going to continue? We're going to continue to see this price competition between the banks on rates, be they fixed or SVRs? Yeah, I think you'll continue to see banks trying to introduce competitive edges to their products. I mean, clearly, recently, we've had some speculation of a new lender, Frank Money, and obviously, um, Pepper, Pepper, though Pepper seem to be catering to the market that the banks, it's, it's not their core market, they seem to be looking for customers that the banks won't lend to and they're charging fees and things, which is not the the normal Irish model. But I think, you know, as you see more hints of, of competitors coming in, that, yeah, it will keep the banks on their toes and you will see further competition. Mm-hmm. John, do you think we're going to see more competitors come into the market? Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, when it gets to the stage, I mean, Bank of Scotland came in, what, 17 years ago now, and uh, they came in because there was the margins that they... That they Main banks here, the main lenders, was something like about two and a half percent, wasn't it? And they halved it overnight, and then they brought they in all the, the market, rest. Of they? <laughs> they did a little and bit, and then they skedaddled as soon as things. Well, they were up. forced to skedaddle more than anything else. You know, I mean, they, I'm sure they would have wanted to stay if there had been a profitable reason for them to stay, but there wasn't. Sadly, yeah. Yeah. suitcase bankers. I think David there, there was no LTV uh, limits in those days. You know, they no. the, the Scottish banks introduced the 100 percent LTV right, loans and more. That's and not going to happen again because they won't be let do that. And the interest only yeah. they introduce all of those which is good so john i mean you you follow this market closely if somebody's yeah. considering a, a house purchase narrow over the next few months mm. should they sit tight and uh, in the expectation of more cuts no. by by the banks or is now a good time to go well i think i think for a lot of young people who, who may be listening to this podcast is is uh, go on and see what you're eligible to to borrow right now because you know it's all about planning you may not have enough money first of all to put down the deposit you may not have enough income to actually warrant to get in the mortgage so you have to know where where you're coming from and the only way you can do that is to first of all go to a proper you know independent advisor uh, or else if you are going to go say to the Bank of Ireland don't just stop at one lender because you know you can shop around as well even on, on online and you can see exactly what most of these lenders are offering. Yeah. Emer online banking I mean when, when are we going to see that and there was a Super Bowl ad there for I can't remember who the lender was but uh, during the Super Bowl recently there was an ad for uh, basically online mortgages you could just make an application online and, and get uh, and get approved within you know I don't know a matter of hours uh, but we don't see that in the Irish market at the minute how far away do you think that is? Well I think in AIB's case you can complete everything online at this stage but I'm not sure how long it takes uh, so definitely you're seeing advances in online banking by all the lenders 
every now and again they're refreshing their online portals and offerings and I think that'll continue but I'm pretty sure you can do from start to finish now I with think AIB. There's a situation where you know you need physical signatures, mm. you need physical documents like you know um, the proof of ID or or whatever any of those. So, so there's some physical uh, constraints that you are still confined to that you still have to abide by. So they, that 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 will always be there. So I mean, putting the initial, um, I mean, I can give approval within like half an hour, but I still need to get all the documents signed. You know, it's like life life cover, for instance. You have to still sign a document, no matter what happens. I mean, they're, they're getting now into the stage of getting DocuSign, um, this kind of thumbprint and stuff. That's, you know, same as a signature. Right. That'll come as well. But surely uh, there must be an opportunity there for some uh, primarily online lender to come into the market, if the rates are as fat as you're mm, suggesting, yeah. for some Michael O'Leary type to come in and completely revolutionise the way that home loans uh, transacted? It, 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 well, it happened before and uh, the margins are at a, a level where they're still about 1.5% more uh, than, say, well, the standard rates here, standard variable rates, than our counterparts in Europe. So there may be one or two European banks looking at uh, Ireland enviously. Mm. Are, are we being ripped off? Not overall, but we there's a small little rip-off because we should have lowers. I mean, uh, we have a smaller market. We're not in the same league as Britain or, or, or the Germans or French even. So we, they, they're saying that you can't compare. I mean, I have a little mortgage in Portugal or something, and it's like 0. 0.06 or something is the, mar- is, is the rate. It's unbelievable. Yeah, Emer, are we being ripped off? You know, the banks, well, the banks will, with some justification, point to the arrears in this market and the fact that it's very, very difficult to actually do anything because repossessions are de minimis at the moment. And if you do try and pursue a customer through the courts, it takes years. And, and um, you know, so they will argue that the cost of credit in Ireland is somewhat higher than other jurisdictions. Now, it's difficult to be conclusive on it, but you'd have to feel they've some argument when they point to that because of the backlog of, of arrears here that you do need to charge a bit more if you've got a, okay. a different credit scenario. Just before we go, Imer, I have to ask you, we've got a general election uh, coming up. I'm just wondering if international clients of Davy are expressing any concern at the polls at the minute and the fact that we could be left with a hung doll, we could be left with a, 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 you know, a hodgepodge type of government. There doesn't seem to be any clear outcome coming out of uh, the polls or, or none that you can put together if uh, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin won't go into government with Fianna Gael. Are any of your international clients expressing concern at this stage about that? Certainly we've seen a lot of interest in it and we did host an event in London recently um, on the topic uh, with David Farrell, the Professor of Economics in UCD and Colin McQuilla, our Chief Economist, and indeed Colin published an update on it yesterday. And that is because we do get a lot of inbound investor inquiries on it. But are they worried about it? No, not yet, but obviously we'll have to wait and see what does come out. I mean... Connell and David's central view is that we will get a looser coalition, not broadly similar to what we have at the moment, just it will need more support to get there. But, you know, he did update in his piece yesterday some of the, um, the banking issues that some of the other parties are talking about if they were in power, like Labour tripling, tripling, more than tripling the bank levy, things like that. And that does sort of make investors sit up and take note. I think the the hope is on their part, that you'll get something broadly similar and that you won't have any huge change in banking policy from whoever's in government. OK, we'll leave it there. Emil Lang, John Lowe, thank you thank for joining you us. Thank you very much, thank you. 
At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. We'll move now to the dairy sector and the 40% drop in milk prices since 2014. Joining me in the studio is Owen Burke Kennedy, who's covered the story for the Irish Times. And by phone, I'm joined by Catherine Lascaretz, a dairy executive at the IFA. Owen, we might start with you. Um, the ending of the milk quotas last year in the EU was supposed to deliver us all to the promised land or at least the Irish dairy sector to the promised land. But in fact, it's turned out to be somewhat a different story. Uh, Why so? Yeah, I suppose you could say that uh, the free market uh, comes with its perils and Ireland's 17,000 dairy farmers are getting something of a baptism of fire in the form of uh, plummeting prices. The post-quota era, as you said, was was billed as something of a sort of white gold rush on the back of soaring dairy consumption across Asia and Africa. Yeah, we were told this was going to lead to lots of new investment, um, much more modern farming by in Ireland, and also a lot of new jobs. And uh, on the back of that sentiment, dairy farmers have been ramping up production. Uh, the national dairy herd's gone up by about 150,000, all on the basis of these metrics. However... The removal of EU's lo- the EU's long-standing uh, quota system has coincided with the worst slump in prices in a decade. It's linked to a fall-off in demand from China, uh, the Russian trade embargo, and a general glut in production in the preceding years. So from the middle of 2014 to now, prices have dropped by between 35 and 40%, as you said, which translates to from sort of 38 cents a litre to around 24 to 26 now, mindful Chagas, the farm agency, calculate the farmers need around 25 cents a litre to kind of break even. So you can see how the margins have eroded over that time, you know. Yeah. So was Ireland the only country to ramp up its production or did other EU states go the same way? Well, that's a good question. And maybe Catherine can answer that. I know uh, Ireland was for a long time considered the great underachiever uh, in terms of global dairy. And the best kind of way of explaining this is to compare to New Zealand. Both countries are roughly the kind of say, similar size populations and of similar size uh, dairy pasture. Uh, back in 1984, New Zealand and Ireland produced roughly the same amount of milk. We went into a quota system and protectionism and they went into the free market. 31 years after that, uh, New Zealand produced about 20 billion litres of milk. Ireland produces about 5.5 billion litres of milk. And New Zealand's the biggest per capita producer of milk in the world. So that comparison rankles with a lot of people in Ireland and... Uh, we consider the kind of post-quota era a chance for us to kind of play catch-up, I suppose. Catherine, uh, we might just pick you up on that point. Um, was Ireland the only country in the EU to actually ramp up its production uh, following the end of the quota, or did other EU states uh, follow the same path? Yeah, other EU states also followed a, a similar path, albeit perhaps not quite as impressive in percentage terms. 
the Netherlands, for example, have increased their production quite substantially, around 6% during 2015. Poland uh, also, maybe about 3 4%. The UK also would have increased quite substantially their, their supplies. Then, so, so these would be kind of mid-tier producers around Europe. The, the big players are Germany and France. They, between them, would probably supply something in the region of 50% of all the milk in Europe. And they would have increased much more modestly um, in both percentage and tonnage terms, if you see what I mean. So, uh, no, certainly I think the end of quotas is something that a number of member states saw opportunities in. Um, I have to say they would have been well-founded in, in, uh, in thinking that these would create opportunities in that the uh, global demand for dairy, which is linked to demography uh, and to the, uh, the rise in, in more affluence uh, among the middle classes uh, in emerging countries around the world, was a, a, a pretty good reason to go out there and, uh, and, and gear up towards it. Uh, I think uh, Owen put it very well that, unfortunately, uh, the beginning of that opportunity uh, coincided with uh, a glut which had built up over a couple of years and a number of uh, both economic and geopolitical events uh, which actually damaged demand to some extent. So we, we, we know well about China, we know well about Russia, but you also have uh, oil prices at the moment about a third of what they were 12 to 15 months ago. And uh, a goodly number of our customer countries would be oil producers, whether it's Venezuela, whether it's Algeria or Nigeria. So these are the factors certainly that have, that have created the issue. Uh, Europe at the moment is probably contributing most of the said glut but uh, historically and looking forward, there is no reason why another region in the world might not be uh, in that situation mm. at some point in the future. So was it just a case of bad luck or did we miscalculate the opportunity that was there? No, I, I think I genuinely think that it was kind of neither. Uh, it's, we didn't miscalculate the opportunity. But one thing that certainly we and IFA have been talking about for the last five or six years is the concept of volatility. We have global markets for commodities generally, but for milk and dairy products in particular, that have become extremely volatile uh, over the last maybe seven or eight years. Um, if, you, if you were to look at uh, price graphs going back 20 or so years, you would notice a, a very noticeable change from 2006, 2007, when prices start to, to fluctuate very widely. And that's linked to two main factors, in my view. The first one is that it coincided with the immediate previous common agricultural policy reform, which saw a move away in Europe from market supports uh, to be replaced by direct supports to farmers. That meant that Europe Inc. was uh, influencing global markets a lot less, was intervening a lot less in global markets. And coinciding with that, you had a growth in uh, demand from emerging countries and from a larger number of countries around the world, you basically had a significant growth in trade. You had trade deals, you had all sorts of developments in that area. So we've been seeing very volatile prices ever since. And one of the things that uh, we would have said uh, all along uh, is, is trying to sound a note of caution. I think Owen rightly uh, and fairly said that farmers responded to, um, you know, sort of a, a very optimistic message coming from uh, all sorts of quarters. We would have been the people who said, but be very careful not to overstretch because volatility mm. will catch up with us 
it is catching up with us at the moment. I think where we are right now is all the more problematic because it is lasting, this, this period of low prices is lasting a lot longer than anyone's forecast. And, you know, the longer it lasts, you can survive a, a slump if it doesn't last too long, but the longer it lasts, the more problematic it is. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's one area where we certainly see uh, the main focus needing to be on, on developing strategies to help farmers manage their way through this, this, side of, this, this type of situation. Umbrook Kennedy, isn't it just a case, this is the market, that's the way it works. It's a commodity at the end of the day, milk. There's nothing particularly special about it, shall we say. Um, if you're in the airline business and uh, there's lots of competition, you just got to get on with it. If you're in the supermarket business and somebody sets up business across the road from it, you've got to respond to that. Irish farmers simply have to respond to this in the same way that every other business would. Well, interestingly enough, that seems to be the uh, view of Brussels at the moment, uh, Minister uh, for Agriculture, Simon Coveney once so keen to shed the shackles of EU protection, now wants Brussels to step back in and raise its intervention price for milk, which might uh, soften the, 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 the sort of roiling seas of the international markets at the moment for farmers. But so far, his former cabinet colleague, Phil Hogan, who holds the agricultural brief in Brussels, is uh, not returning, and he's insisting that farmers need to be weaned off supports. So that goes up back to your point about they're just going to have to get used to the, the difficulties ahead. Um, interesting enough, as a, as a kind of backdrop to our election, um, this is a kind of a, a major crisis in rural Ireland, and it's a major headache for the Fine Gael party, where you might say they're gearing up for an election amid a football crisis in rural Ireland all across the Munster dairy belt, and that's their sort of mm. electoral heartland, you know. So, it's, mind it's, you, I haven't heard it as an issue in leaders' debates or on too many, you know, programs on TV or radio. Catherine. Um, Owen saying that it's a it's a rural Ireland uh, crisis and it's it's a hot topic in the election issue. Would you agree with that? I haven't heard I, it I being would, debated at great length. No, no, I, I would absolutely agree with him. I think it's um, uh, whether it has made it to the to the television headlines and the various uh, debates among uh, uh, leaders is one thing. But uh, there is currently a series of meetings with candidates all around the country with uh, within the IFA structure, and uh, absolutely the the issue around uh, dairy volatility and measures that would be required to try and assist farmers with it is very much part and parcel of okay. the manifesto we're putting to those candidates. And what would the IFA like to see done? Well, there's a number of, of, of elements because this is a complex uh, crisis and it requires complex responses. I, I take the point Owen has made with regards to uh, uh, Commissioner Hogan's attitude and, and I, I, wouldn't, uh, I, I would love to differ with him, but unfortunately that seems to be the, the kind of noises we're, we're hearing from those quarters. I think there, to be honest, I think there, are, there is more that the Commission could do in relation to this type of signals it sent to the marketplace and that's what the uh, intervention price levels do. They send a signal to the marketplace. Um, so that's the first thing, but not necessarily the, the most uh, immediate or, or, or helpful in the short term. What we're trying to do at the moment in IFA, we're trying to persuade our minister and uh, his uh, officials in the Department of Agriculture to reconvene the Dairy Forum. The Dairy Forum was first convened in September last by Minister Coveney to bring all the stakeholders in the dairy industry around the table. We have a unique enough situation in, in the Irish dairy industry in that most of our milk purchases and processes are cooperatives, as is or NUA, our main exporting uh, um, organization, so that they actually are owned by farmers. And we, by and large, uh, have a pretty cohesive approach 
to uh, you know to to, to the strategy uh, of the dairy sector as a whole. So bringing the, those parties in around the table uh, of the dairy forum and bringing along also banks and various state agencies to uh, support farmers who will have the, the biggest issue they're going to have in the coming months is cash flow related because they're the price of milk is a complex thing. It's made up of a base price and you are remunerated a little bit better if your butter fat and protein content of your milk is higher. This time of year, the butter fat and protein content is always low because these are freshly calved cows, so the milk is of lower value in terms of its actual constituents. Consequently, farmers will be getting, even if the base price hasn't changed, the price they will receive will have reduced. And uh, that means, realistically, that in the next couple of months, farmers will start uh, feeling the pinch uh, in a very severe way from a cash flow point of view. And if we can have a a positive response from uh, our banks in terms of facilitating farmers with cash flow facilities, uh, I think that would be hugely helpful. Co-ops have also done lots of very interesting things, and they they probably can develop that to a greater extent. Uh, You may have heard that Glambia, for example, were the first co-op, not the last, there's a a number that have gone down this road also, to uh, offer to farmers the opportunity to hedge their milk price, so to speak, so to actually fix their milk price and a portion of their margin uh, through a fixed price contract. Um, many of those lasted three years. They, the first one was introduced in 2011. The most recent one uh, is only 18 months uh, okay. long. But these are all bits of solution. We're also looking at taxation. Taxation can deliver the goods in terms of allowing farmers okay. to respond to very volatile incomes, all which right. is the main challenge here. Just finally, Owen, uh, over to you in your piece this morning, you said that futures trading suggests that there's going to be a continued fall in, uh, in milk prices. Uh, how long do you see this lasting? Well, uh, that actually dairy market uh, trade auction, uh, which kind of sets the benchmark prices for prices globally, uh, actually has come to pass and it's recorded another drop in prices. Uh, 2.8%, I think, was the average drop in prices. So. At the moment, all the predictions that the slump would correct would would go the other way in the first quarter seem to be now pushed on to the later part of the year, uh, and they seem to be eroding fast. So at the moment, the outlook isn't positive. Okay, we'll see how that plays out. My thanks to Owen Burke-Kennedy in studio and to Catherine Lapizetz by phone. Okay, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Emer Lang, John Lowe, Owen Burke-Kennedy and Catherine Lascaretz. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.